You're listening to The Prime Podcast, the young adult culture of abundant living faith setting with Cruz Ramirez and Mark McGaffin. Hey, thank you so much for taking time to watch this conversation today. You know, our heart at Abundant is this, that we will teach people how to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus came for us to all live and enjoy. And you know, part of learning how is gaining an understanding. You know, the scripture teaches us this, that the principal thing is wisdom, and in all you're getting, get an understanding. And the conversation that we're having today is a critical conversation with everything that's happening in our society right now, with the unrest due to police brutality, social injustice, racial inequality. There is a key conversation that needs to continue to happen. You know, really the word is a dialogue. And today we're having a dialogue with one of our lead pastors, Pastor Jared Neiman, and someone who's a new friend to us, Scott Williams. We can't wait for you to meet Scott and hear from our pastor's heart. We pray this. We pray that this conversation gives you an understanding and empowers you to learn how to go be a blessing to the world around you. That's where it begins, right? That we learn how to be a blessing. We learn how to be salt and light. We learn how to be the change that we want to see. So again, we love you. We hope that this conversation blesses you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching. Scott, hey man, thanks for jumping on with us today. We've been really excited to uh, have this conversation with you. Obviously, there's a lot of really important conversations being had all over the country, all over the world, really. Um, And we think that this conversation is really, really necessary in our world, the church world, right? And, um, you know, I'm super honored that we get to sit with our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Neiman, and with a voice like yours. And so, hey, Pastor Jared, thanks for being with us as well on this conversation. This is really important conversation, right? Yeah, I think it's vitally important and one that is taking place all over the world, like you said. I think that uh, obviously the events that have taken place, well, through the course of American history, but obviously in the last few weeks with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd have advanced the conversation. And I think it's really important that we don't view this as a moment, right? that this conversation becomes dialogue in our everyday life and that friends can have it, leaders can have it, pastors can have it, Uh, people of all walks in life can talk about this openly, ask questions. You know, I was uh, telling a friend of mine in the last couple days, I feel like this is the first time in my, my life that I have feel comfortable to ask questions of just, hey, can I ask you this? (laughs) And just talk about things. And and, uh, maybe that was my own foolishness or ignorance or my own hesitation of like social awkwardness. But I do feel like that has gone away. And I hope it stays that way. I hope we don't forget about this three weeks from now. Uh, And when... There's a different news cycle. You know, Disneyland is reopened or whatever. And I hope we don't all forget about this, revert back to our comfort zones and our old habits and um, stop advancing this conversation because there's intense growth and intense understanding taking place worldwide right now. It's so important. Yeah, no, and I think that... I think that you use the right word. The right word is dialogue, right? We're not just talking at each other, right? The, the dialogue means that I'm coming, I'm coming to the conversation with an intent to learn, mm-hmm. with an intent to listen, and an intent to walk away more than likely 
with an understanding that I did not have prior. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's our goal today, Scott. You know, uh, you're you're a new friend to us, a new friend to to our to to me and, and, and Jared, and really to our church, our church as well. And we're excited to have to have you with us, man. Really, really appreciate who you are, what you've done, what God has done in your life, and so. Before, before we jump into, into the meat of it, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to us, man? You know, some of us may not know who you are. Tell us a little bit about your life, your experience. You've got some real, real keen understanding to several facets of the, of the current situation in, in, American, in, in, in American current events, right? On the law enforcement side, I, I, you're African-American. Um, talk to us a little bit about who you are, where you've been, and, and, and how things have been for you. Uh, first of all, Pastor Jared, Pastor Cruz, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to just, and I, I love that. It's a dialogue, having a conversation and, and just speaking candidly because, you know, a little bit about my background. I spent a large number of my adult years in the prison system, uh, 12 years, 22 days and eight hours to be exact, eight by 10 cell, pinned up anger, razor wire, bad food, prison. And I know some of you guys are watching right now and you're thinking, wow, they had a brother that was in the prison system. I, I was actually a warden in the prison system. And so, uh, so you guys can, you can, you can kind of relax a little bit. You can, some of you can, you know, chuckle. And, and that's part of this, you know, the deal, right? Right now, you immediately assume that a brother was in the prison system. My brother always got to be in the system. So no, uh, but, but real talk at the age of 25, I was the youngest prison warden in the country. And I didn't know that at that time that God was going to use my time as a prison warden to prepare me for ministry. And so as we talk about race and integration, and so one thing about a prison yard is that it's very separated and segregated. But as a prison warden, I had the luxury of being able to force integration through, you know, cell assignment or whatever and begin to have some tough conversations. And so and from moving from that to, again, working in the justice system for a number of years and worked in the juvenile justice system and then started to do some stuff with the federal government as far as understanding like disproportionate, what used to be called disproportionate minority contact, which means how much more minorities come in contact with the system. Originally, it was confinement, but it was like the confinement was one thing. Let's go ahead and do the contact because the place of contact is where we can see the differentiation between someone that may be a person of color that comes in contact and someone that's not. And what do they do? Do they go further into the system? That's a federal mandate in the juvenile justice system, which is basically the feeder for the adult system. And then, you know, I went, I worked in, you know, my background has always been kind of dealing with race, religion, and, and politics. And those are the three things that we're, you know, not supposed to have dialogue. You know, Pastor Jared, as you mentioned dialogue, we're not supposed to talk about those three things. And that's kind of been this intersection of kind of my life and my story. And, and so kind of fast forward, ended up going, um, you know, attending Life Church many years ago. And, and Pastor Craig, he told me that he was recruiting me for many years. I didn't understand that. And so we just knew it as the, you know, the, the, the church around the corner, the white church around the corner that held up traffic. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I came from a very a Pentecostal church to come in, you know, modesty blankets full on to Life Church. And so that was a very, very different shift for us. And so I, I'll never forget it. And so years ago, I remember I was going to, uh, when I was in college, I had different roommates. So I had, you know, I'm in Oklahoma. So a very eclectic group of roommates. I had one roommate that his name was, you know, Johnny January. And Johnny used to, you know, dip tobacco and spit it in a spit tune. And first of all, like, you know, I mean, I don't know where everybody's from. I know where, if you dip tobacco and you spit in a spit tune, that's just nasty. And I don't know, you might, might find yourself in hell doing that, uh, but not, not true, but like you might find yourself sweeping the floors of heaven. So anyway, so I had Johnny that was uh, my roommate. And so I would go to church with him. He went to a very country rural church. Now I had other friends. I would go to their church. And I remember one weekend I was going to the black church, right? So before I go to black church, I had to go and get my, you know, this is, I'm, I'll be 47 in July. So this was back 1991, 1992. So I needed to go get my shoes shined. 
And as I was going to get my shoe shine, I go into the shoe shine man. His name was Slim. And Slim was, he was obviously Slim. He was like six foot three, a brother with a jerry curl. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what a jerry curl is? Just coming to America. So anyway, so I had Slim. I go and get my shoe shine. And as I'm getting my shoe shine and, and I was talking to Slim, uh, uh, he was telling me about his church. Like, hey, I'm going to this church this weekend. He started telling me about his church. And man, I was like, sound like a great church. And I, I asked him, I said, Slim, I said, is it a black church or a white church? And, and pastor, I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me, he said, young man, he said, that's the dumbest question you can ever ask. It's not a black church. It's not a white church. It's God's church. And so that really kind of stuck with me and kind of hit me like a, you know, a bag of bricks. And so from that moment on, early 90s, I kind of had wrestled with this, like, what is my role within this? And so kind of fast forward, ended up coming on staff at Life Church, became a campus pastor. And, and about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I'd written a book called, you know, Church Diversity, Sunday, the most segregated day of the week. And it's based on a quote that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. shared over 50 years ago when he said that we must face the sad fact that on Sunday morning, we stand to sing. We stand in one of the most segregated hours in America. And obviously, it was a little premature in the conversation because people weren't ready to have that conversation. But here we are now. And, and again, I, I tell people that I really feel like we, were, we just came out of a global pandemic or in the middle of a global pandemic that God was able to slow us down just enough to where we were forced to pay attention, where Pastor Jared is saying that, that it won't just be a moment because we had nothing else to do. And so we go from a, a global pandemic to recognizing a racial epidemic. And so here we are now. And so we're, yeah, I'm in conversations like this and I'm going to work with everything from corporate clients to university clients to NFL clients and people that are in different parts, helping them have these conversations, have this dialogue. So I look forward to our talk today. That's awesome, Scott. We're, we're excited that you're with us. We really appreciate your perspective. You know, when I've, when I've had the opportunity to talk to both you and, and Pastor Jared, um, one of the things that emerges in those conversations is really how important it is that we do talk about it, right? That we do take a moment to just, and not make it just a moment, but take the moment to initiate the conversation. And that can be hard for a lot of us. You just, you just said it a few minutes ago, Scott, that you don't talk about race, religion, or politics. Really, you know, for a lot, a lot of people, that's kind of like a social taboo. But if ever there were a time to begin the conversation, it's now. And, you know, I'd love for us to talk about that a little bit, why it's so important to talk about it, even if it's awkward. You know, I think, I think for, for most people, um, where, they, where they stand is, you know, they have a sense of, you know, this is not right, this is not godly, but I don't know how to start the conversation. You know, I don't know what to say. Scott, is it, is it okay to be in that place, to, be, to, to, to know in, internally, right, your inward witness? That's an old school faith term, right? But to have the inward witness that says, this is not godly, this is wrong, this is not God's way of treating people, but I don't even know, I don't even know where to start to talk about it. I don't even know what to say about it. And I, I'm just going to ask you outright, Scott, is it okay not to know what to say? Is it okay not to know where to start? Absolutely. And I think that I think that's the great place to start is say, look, I don't know. Because the challenge comes in is where we make assumptions that we do know. And I think that's for all of us. And whatever dialogue we're having, like, we really have to come in with a, in a place of humility and say, look, I don't have all the answers or, or forgive me for my ignorance. Like I was, you know, working with the CEO this week and, and she was kind of talking to She's like, look, I want to ask some questions. But first of all, please let me know if I say something that's offensive. I don't know. I'm wanting to figure it out. And so I think if you start with that posture, that's really helpful because it's unfortunate that we live in this cancel culture and this cancel culture has everyone that's on spook or they're scared or they're nervous to be able to say something because they're going to get canceled. And so I think as believers, our position has to be a little bit different because we're supposed to walk through this differently. And so I think you start with that place of grace and say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I really want to learn. Will you help me? And then so now 
You've had one conversation with that. Now you're more educated in the next conversation. However, the next person you talk to, it doesn't matter. They may view it differently. And so I think that's a, I think that's what we're talking about in general is that painting everything with a broad brush. Just because someone is black or African-American doesn't mean they have the same experience. Like, you know, for me, like I've raised two, you know, two sons. Like I have a son that's a, will be a senior in college, getting ready to go to dental school. And I have another son's going to be a senior in high school. And so, you know, I've not only have I walked through this for 46 years, but I've, you know, raised two young men to have those tough conversations. What does it look like to put your hands on the steering wheel when you're getting pulled over? All these different things that you walk through. And someone else that hasn't raised, you know, young men, it may be different if they've raised daughters. The conversations are different. Their perspective is different. And so I just think if you start with that, it's it's great learning. And we can all learn from one another. No, that's, I, I think that's super cool. Pastor Jared, you shared something earlier where you said that this, if ever there were a time to ask the tough questions or just be, initiate the conversation, this is the time, and I, I love how you said it, that you, know, you find yourself with the space to be able to ask certain questions, um, which I think that's a really unique perspective and a really unique experience. Could I, could I ask you to share some of that, what, what that was personally for you? What, what did that look like for you? you know? How did you approach it? Yeah, well, I mean, my entire life I've had, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think through things from the beginning to the end as far as I can see it. And so I always have questions. I question everything. And I've always wanted to have conversations but never knew where I could go with them. Yeah. I didn't know who I could go to to have them. Yeah. You know, I think what's happening here is the opening up of what the Bible says in Proverbs where it says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get understanding. So to have wisdom, you need understanding. Sure. To have understanding, you need to have conversations, you need to research, you need to humble yourself and uh, understand and admit to yourself, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. I might be wrong. I might be right, just not fully right. You know, you can be right, but not 100% right. You know, so you can be 60% right and 40% wrong, or just 40% ignorant. And you just don't know. You've just never had that experience. Uh, and in the, I mean, I have found in the last two weeks, that it's easier now to say, hey, I don't understand this. Can I ask you? Can, can I just, like the CEO he mentioned, hey, I have some questions and I know I might even ask them wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Please help me, <laughs> you know? I had a, a, a conversation the other night with a, a pastor friend of mine here in El Paso. He pastors the largest black church in the city. And um, I mean, we had this 30 minute conversation of how we spoke to our sons about what happened, about the video that we all saw sure. of George Floyd and the conversations we had. I had, I've been friends with him for 10 years and it was the first time we ever had conversations like that. But I loved every moment of it because it was like the door was open and there was this freedom to have this dialogue and I even, I even said what the CEO said. It was like, please tell me if I'm asking this question <laughs> wrong. You know, no, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. I mean, he's the most unoffendable guy. So he just laughs about everything, which is great. You know, and I think actually more people in society are that way. They're just not the ones with the voice. Um, 
So, you know, I really pray that we continue the pursuit of understanding. That's, I think that's a good word. Scott, what were you going to say? I think, that, I think that's key, the pursuit of understanding, because what you're saying is that, you know, over the last two weeks, you've seen people beginning to come out of their comfort zone, because what happens is people are fearful, and it's comfortable really to not have the conversation. So I love that people are having to wrestle with getting out of their comfort zone. And so as you get out, because comfort can do one or two things, is, is it can paralyze you, you're comfortable, and so you don't want to do anything else, you don't want to try anything else, you're comfortable, so you're scared, you don't want to do it, and so you're paralyzed, or your comfort zone can propel you to say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being comfortable. As a matter of fact, it's not comfortable anyway, and that's what's happening right now. You're saying you're having these conversations, and it's beginning to propel things, and it'll feed to somebody else having a conversation. And so that's what, that's what I'm loving about this. And so, I mean, again, everybody is at least open. And again, at the same time, everybody doesn't have the same position. People are, and again, people have real issues. And so I think what, I, what I'm seeing, and I'm hoping I can see some more of, is that there's not a lot of grace in the social media world. And so I, people got to understand that social media doesn't always represent what everyone thinks. And so people are so yeah. scared. To, and also, just because you have something to say doesn't mean you have to say it on social media. I think there is, there was a responsibility or is a responsibility for leaders to step up and say something when these things first come out, because that's what leadership is. You need to go to the table because when I, like when I see pastors that were not confronted or not saying anything, like the challenge sometimes is that you have a congregation that's looking to their shepherd to tell them how they're supposed to walk through this on social media, to tell them how they're supposed to walk through this in life. And so I think there's some responsibility there, but at the same time, like, you can't, you know, focus so much on what people are going to say that you're not willing to even step out and begin to to ask some of the conversations. And I just feel like if everybody understands their role in this, that's why, again, I just I don't think there's any coincidence with us where we are now with coming out of a pandemic. Because one thing the pandemic showed us is that, you know, with COVID-19, like at the beginning, we were all like, come on. OK, really? And then people like, oh, wow, this is real. And then people like, wow. We all have to do our part to do what? To to flatten the curve. And so whether you're, you know, where you're at and you're sitting there, man, we got to, you know, this is what we got to do. We got to make sure that we're using hand sanitizer. We got to wash our hands. We got to wear a mask. So everybody did their part to flatten the curve, even if maybe El Paso wasn't the same situation as you had in L.A. But everybody had to play a role. And so that's where we are with what we're going on with this, what I'm calling this racial epidemic is that we all have to do our part. And especially that, you know, when, you know, for, for an African-American, it's one thing for, you know, I've been yelling and, and screaming about this, you know, publicly, professionally for 20 years and, and what's happening now. And that's why I think, especially for, I tell some of my, my white leaders that are out there is that, you know, your, your whisper can be louder than my yell, your drip, can be much bigger than my splash. It'll make more ripples. And so, and as we do this together, it's can everybody is doing their part in flattening the curve. And so you're sitting there right now and you're watching like, man, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm not a leader of a church. I'm not a CEO. You, everyone has a sphere. It's, it starts in our homes. And so we start with our homes. We start with our sphere of influence and friends and begin to have these conversations and we'll look up and we'll see some, some momentum. It's all about these pushes on the flywheel. And I don't think you can, you can minimize what you said uh, on any level, you, it starts with your sphere. Yeah. And the thing about that is you never know who you're influencing. Right. Like I was talking to my dad about it. My dad was raised to be anti-racist. I mean, he was raised that way by his father, who was a very, my, my grandparents were very simple people, great people, people who loved God. They worked, uh, my dad was, a, my grandfather was a military man. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, you know, 
paycheck to paycheck type lifestyle. And, but my grandfather taught his three sons to be abhorrent to racism. Yeah. Uh, he just did not tolerate it. Uh, they, you know, they grew up in the time where, you know, it was everywhere and, you know, I mean, it still is everywhere, but, you know, back after the civil rights movements and all that. Never did my grandfather know that he was speaking to a man who would pastor a church of thousands. Wow. And so that's so important to recognize that your voice is important. Absolutely. It has value. And you never know who you're talking to. You don't know who your kids are going to be. When you're sowing seeds Absolutely. of love instead of hate, acceptance instead of rejection, rejection generosity instead of stinginess, you know, faith instead of fear, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know the seed you're sowing. And I think that's so important that we never minimize ourselves and the effect we can have. And maybe we never reach this grandiose, you know, cool on Instagram platform, but you don't know who your kids are going to reach. And you don't know who your daughter's going to be. Yeah. You know, how do you know your daughter's not the next Christine Kane or Michelle Obama or whoever? I mean, you don't know, right? Like, and I just think it's so important that what you said, we, we got to make sure that we're handling our sphere of influence. And whether that's two people or 2,000 or yeah. 200,000, we've got to make sure we're handling that right. Absolutely. I, 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 love, I love that take because we all have a part to play. Right, we all have a part to play in gaining an understanding and helping people be understood, right? And um, Scott, I, wa I wanted to ask that, um, you know, because a lot, I, I think what's gonna happen is people are gonna feel free to go ask a question and to do it with humility and to do it with sincerity. Um, but how do we walk this line, right? If, if, if we have someone in our world that, that is African-American, a person of color, and we, we go and we say, hey, will you help fix me? Right, because that's kind of that's generically that's kind of going to be the posture, right? There should also be an angle or perspective of you know, but I also recognize you're hurting and and you're healing, and I should have compassion as well, you know. Give give us some some perspective, give us some understanding on how we approach that conversation so that it's not just you know I'm I'm taking from someone, right? Because that's the last thing I would want to do is to go and talk to someone who is who's hurting, who's got a very unique tension that I wouldn't understand necessarily and go and just add another pressure of like, well, you need to teach me. Do you sure. know what I'm saying? Like, how do, we, how do we balance that? How do we approach that conversation well? Well, I think, first of all, I think go in without the assumptions. Like one of the university clients that I was talking with, they were sending, they sent an email out and, and the email was to, to, to all the African-American students in a large university in the state of Oklahoma. They sent to African-American students. At first, the email, my, old, my youngest son gets it and says, I know you're hurting. First of all, don't assume that someone's hurting. Like, you can't assume that, like, and, you know, if you assume, like, look, we don't understand maybe the shoes that you've walked in. Now that's okay because if you start, because my son reads, he's like, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not hurting. And so this assumption begins to bust. So I think without the assumption, like, look, here's what I do say. I just want to start with, man, I don't know what it means to walk in your shoes. We all got different. However, here's where I come. I come and I want to be able to, to understand. And if there's something I can do to help, you know, 
let me know along the way. But wait, the way you can help me right now is to be able to to walk me through and educate me. And, and then hopefully we can, and you let me know if there's something I can do to help you. And so again, that's broad. What can I do to help or what can I do to help this conversation? So I just don't, don't think, assume that everyone's in the same place because for me, it's like, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, how are you feeling? I'm like, bruh, where you been the last 25 years? Like, I've been walking this thing out. Like, it's not this crazy, you know, some people are in a new place because this is new for them to champion it, to be out and to talk. And no matter whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, like this is new for a lot of people. This isn't new for me. And a lot of people fall in that same place. And so a lot of times I'm calling my, you know, my leaders that I know that that might be some, some white leaders that, that are asking the question. I'm like, look, what can I do to help you? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to be calling you? I'm like, no, bro. Like, what can I? Because we're in this, it's again, it's, it's the global pandemic. Like we all got to do our part. And so again, I think approach it with that. Don't assume anything like, look, I don't know, but here's the thing that I do know. I don't know your unique experiences. I want to be able to learn and I want to be able to help. Boom. You start with that. Like if someone's offended by that, that's on them. And I do think that, you know, times have changed. What was offensive five years? What wasn't offensive five years ago is offensive now. For instance, if you go and you say, I don't see color, that's a really good attempt to try to say, I'm not racist. I'm not, that's very offensive now because like, that's to take the beauty away from like, God didn't make a mistake. Like you, the reason you don't see color is because you see color. That's why you're saying it. And so it's like somebody like, man, I don't see color. Like I, man, I don't, like my, one of my best friends is black. I got a, I got a pair of black boots. I got a colored TV. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like I'm gonna free you from that. Like you ain't got to start with like, Hey man, my, man, I was talking to my buddy Tyrone last night, man. And like, you don't have to try to make that connection and let a black person know that you know another black person or that you went to high school with a black. You don't have to do that. Like live your life and walk in it in a way to where people understand because we know people will listen to the sermons that we live way before they listen to the ones that we preach. Don't you think that, I mean, don't you think that the fast changing culture and narrative just brings us back to leading from the gospel of Jesus. Absolutely. I, 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 and that means 100%. that you lead with empathy, you lead with humility, you lead with love, and you lead with grace. And at the end of the day, if you posture yourself that way, even if you do make a mistake, you've sowed that seed Absolutely. of empathy, grace, love, forgiveness, acceptance. And I, I mean, I I have found so much in since since COVID started. Okay, Go, going before the Ahmad Arbery video exploded, and before George Floyd, and before protests, and all of this, all the way back to when the pandemic started. I have just found, man, when I get back to the truth of the Word of God, and I lead with God's Word, I'm good we're good here. Yeah. And I just lead with the word of God. Like someone asked me, what's your response to the racial tension? And I was like, uh, my response is that God said that if I love God and hate my brother, then I'm a liar. Hmm. So that's my response. So, Absolutely. Uh, I'm not a, I, I cannot say that I am a Christian if I hate someone because of the color of their skin. That is to say that I hate God because that person is made in God's image. So to say that I hate them because of the color of their skin or how they look is to say that I hate God. So I, then I can't then flip and go, oh, I love you, Jesus. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. You're saying if you hate someone's creation, and again, going right back to God's word, Jesus said, 
I don't judge you based on how you look. I don't judge you on your appearance. I don't yeah. judge you on any of that. I, I judge a man on his heart. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, that's how we all need to live. We need to judge a man by what's in their heart. We also need to understand that it's not even our place to judge. It's not our place to judge. I mean, we're not here for that. That's God's, <laughs> that's God's role. Absolutely. You know, but and the Bible says that you you look at a man's life and you look at the fruit of their life and you will see who that man is. Brilliant. And uh, again, I just think it's so important. You. Yeah, it's so important just to get back to the Word of God. Yeah. And let the Word of God lead us as we lead our churches, our families, our our spouses, our kids, our employees, employers, whatever. Just get back to the Word of God. Yeah. And, and go act like Jesus told us to act. Yeah. Go be the light of the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it's so key for us to really, really, really highlight that though, right? Because we live in a culture right now that, it, that everything is driven by social media and the optics of social media, the optics of the, just the ma major media outlets, period. Um, and I think that there's a charged environment right now that you have to go do something big. You have to go do, you have to go march, you have to go protest. Um, you know that you and, and if you're not doing that, you're not doing, you're not enough, doing enough, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like that we're we're really leaning into this because this is what Jesus taught: that all men will know you're my disciples and you're doing things my way. Because yep. I just want to remind us that you know those of us that are watching this and are Jesus followers, our our first commitment and our top priority is to do things God's way. We love God, and we love people. people. Right. And so our prerogative should be the, the kingdom prerogative. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so to really just settle and to and to quell the pressure to have to go do something political or to have to make a statement. The truth is, let's just do what Jesus said. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's that's pretty much it. Right. You guys like where it's like, hey, here here's what you can do today. Right. Right. You can go and do what Jesus said. Yeah. That's 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 incredible. Wow, man, that's that's beautiful. And so, um, Pastor Jared and and and, and Scott, I'm, I'm, I want to ask you guys this question. It's it's a it's a real macro question, you know. Um, but the church's responsibility in this, obviously, it is it is as as members of the body, we're here to love, right? Um, but I, I hear a lot of chatter on, hey, the church should do this and the church should do, should do that, and it should be it should do more. Can, can we speak to that a little bit on just what we believe our responsibility is here at Abundant, maybe the church at large, Scott, where you see it? Um, but Pastor, can you can you talk to us just for those of us who are members of the body here at Abundant? What's our responsibility? Yeah, I think uh, I think the church needs to lead. I think the church needs to step up and step out. Uh, you know, I, I'm very blessed that when I was in high school, my dad did a six-week series on racism. Wow. And uh, he just went and shook the tree, man. And people left the church over it. Wow. And I, I'm very glad that my dad's always been on the forefront. We've never been quiet about addressing big issues, not just racism. Right. You know that. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've addressed big issues. We don't dive into political opinion. Uh, we, that's just, we're not politicians. I do believe that churches need to be wise about understanding their calling. And uh, I, I, at least for me, I get very nervous when I step out of the role of being a pastor. I'm not a political activist. I'm not a lobbyist. Uh, yeah. That's not my calling. 
And, uh, you know, Brian Houston has a term he calls the grace zone. And, you know, it's the zone that God has graced you with. And, you know, I, I, I feel good staying in that zone. Uh, but that doesn't mean I, just because I'm not someone else's zone doesn't mean that mine doesn't matter. Right. And so our church is going to lead. We're going to continue to have a culture within our church that is accepting of anyone and everyone like we have for 43 years. Um, that anyone can come to our church regardless of race, uh, ethnicity, financial background, social background, whether you've been a sinner or a saint or s- floated in between, you can come to Abundant. Yeah. And we love you. And if you want to come worship here, come worship doors here. doors are open. And we're going to help yeah. teach you how to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. And, and we're going to keep pursuing that. I, I think that the church as a whole needs to continue and make sure this conversation does not die. Yeah. And we need to make sure that we keep the conversation going. Because we all know that the media is going to turn to the next, whatever the next is. We, we know that's going to happen. And, and eventually we're going to start talking about the elections or, or whatever the hot new thing is. And, and it's, it's going to. But we need to make sure that this time next year and four years from now and five years from now, that we are still promoting diversity, that we are still promoting the love of God, that we are still promoting acceptance, that we are still asking questions, that we're still seeking wisdom, that we're still within our teams and our connect groups and you know our, our dream teams, our volunteer teams, that we have diversity of leadership and and you know, when stuff happens, that we address it head on. That's, to me, the church's responsibility going forward. And of course, at the end of the day, the church's responsibility is to teach the Word of God, all of the Word of God, not just the parts we like or just the parts that we're super (laughs) comfortable with that make us feel good, right? We need to teach all of the Word of God. And if that means that one person leaves the church because we take a stand against racism, then fine. That's not us. That's a condition of your heart, not ours. (laughs) That's a you issue. Now, you might try to project it onto us, but that's a you thing, not us. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hey, Scott, want want to hear your heart for us. You know, we've been talking a lot of just big, big picture, you know, but man, would you, would you drill, drill into and drill down into just you know, that, that, that young adult that's talking, that, that's listening to this conversation right now, or the parents who are listening to this conversation right now, hoping to get some understanding on how to talk to their kids about it, right? Um, you know, talk, talk to us about, you know, a couple, couple of things, you know, like things we can, we can start doing today. You know, a big question that, that Pastor Jared has, has asked through this is, you know, where do we go from here, right? I, I love that, that. I love that your heart, Pastor Jared, has been, we can't let this die. Right, we've got we've got to keep this at at the forefront, um, but you know, talk to us a little bit about that, Scott. What what can we do today? What should we be thinking about as 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 we move from from this moment forward? 
Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's key is that we we start from the position of John 13, 34, like we love as I love one another as I have loved you. Like that's it. So when we start with that, this is what we're going to do, because now it's like now we got to wrestle with, OK, does he does this what we're really supposed to do? And so that's awkward for both people that are angry and frustrated and want change. And that's awkward for people that maybe have some implicit bias that they didn't know, or people that maybe had some racist stuff that they never thought about, or some people that are kind of in between. They've never even really had a conversation about it because whether that young adult is asking the question right now or someone sitting there and saying, why do we even need to talk about this? Because the bottom line is this isn't a color of skin issue. This is a sin issue. And again, racism, you're not born racist. You're not born with implicit bias. It's all caught and taught. And so if we begin to have conversations, then we can do a better job to make sure that we're not teaching it and that people are not catching it because everything that we do and how we live our life. And so I do think, because a lot of people do have questions and concerns, I'm going to go ahead and speak to some of the things that, that you're not supposed to talk about. Because right now, I mean, one of the buzzwords or one of the things that people have real tension over is the word or the phrase Black Lives Matter. I mean, so I'm going to go ahead and say, because but one of the things, the distinctions that I haven't really seen people make that I do want to try to make, because I think this will help, because I know a pastor, very well-respected, one of the largest churches in America, he said that phrase this weekend, there's some people that got up and left and walked out of the church. And so here, here's why, and if this can help somebody when this, you know, loving one another is that Black Lives Matter, the movement, the movement started, say, four or five years ago, there's different, and, and really, if you ask most people, like, who's the leader? Most people can't point you to who the leader of Black Lives Matter is. And so they, so there's, okay, I don't know who it is. And then you got your local, you know, your local entity, your local chapters of Black Lives Matter, and then those particular leaders. And so then we start looking at the website, people look at the website, like, oh, wow, Black Lives Matter stands for this. I don't stand for this. And so for the majority of people, this is my feeling. This is, again, this is Scott Williams speaking. This is, I don't speak for everyone. However, I think there's a there's a distinction that you can draw. I think there's Black Lives Matter, the movement that most people really don't even necessarily. But then there's Black Lives Matter, just the statement with right now with what we're dealing with saying, man, you matter. And the scripture is clear. We mourn with those who mourn. There's a there's a part of our brothers and sisters that are mourning. So we mourn with them. And if you feel you need to make that distinguishing saying, here's what I say about Black Lives Matter. We don't have to go to the, you know, the thing about all lives matter and, you know, whatever, because I do think there's, you know, even that I don't know if you've seen the little cartoon illustration with the all lives matter where they're like, you know, there's a, a guy there sitting there talking like, what about don't all lives matter? And this house is on fire. He's like, well, well, won't you put my house has some problem too. It's got dry rot and it's got this and it's got this going. It's like, well, no, this house is on fire right now. So it's getting the attention. And so some of you, maybe that's your, if you can be comfortable with that to say, you know what, I don't have to support the movement to be okay with the phrase, the phrase, if you can't be okay with the phrase, then that's a whole nother thing. If you're getting caught up on a phrase, that's a problem. And so, again, that's something you got to wrestle with. If you're caught up with the issue with the movement, draw that distinction. Be educated to where you can to say, hey, not this. However, I feel comfortable saying Black Lives Matter. And this is why, because some people are not because they're caught up in this. And some people are getting angry because they're caught up. But if we're talking about loving one another and the majority of people are not going and championing everything about Black Lives Matter, the movement, because there has been a distinction, in my opinion, in the last four or five years. And so I think that's one thing. So I think you know, we can't get caught up so much into semantics. And then I'm always big about what are we doing to get into some solutions? Because we're here, we have some attention. So what are the solutions? If we're talking about, you know, when I worked in the prison system, one of the things that we did is that, you know, people think, well, what are the consequences an inmate gets? Like they have, for instance, if you do a a behavior that's out of line with the rule book, then say, for instance, you would get you get an early bedtime, you wouldn't get, you know, you wouldn't get visitation or all these different things. You may get locked down. But what we try to do, and I've always tried to lead my kids with this, always try to give three positive things to one negative. 
And so in our rule book, we, I call it rule 31. We had three things that were favorable, three rewards to every one consequence. So if the one consequence is an early bedtime, the three rewards may be you get more money in your commissary, you get longer visitation, you get a late bedtime, you get extra recreation time. And so, if we, and so what happens is if we look at our lives and look at the challenge that we have in front of us, everything from a solution mindset. So every time we want to post a problem on social media or something that we don't agree with, come up with three solutions. So before you bring that problem, and I encourage you even as your church and people that are on your staff, like you got a problem with how we do something. Okay, bring me three solutions. And so what that does is it begins to shift your mindset to say, I need to bring some solutions to the table. So for instance, you know, say police brutality, say there's, you know, whatever, say that's, a, say that's the problem. Okay, so here's the three solutions. Again, I think these are easy fixes that can actually be done like that. One, mandatory body cameras. And so like, you know, here's a body cameras, it, the government pays for them. whatever you got to do. Everybody's mandatory on their own all the time. It's not an on or off. So mandatory. So that's one of the solutions. The next thing that we do is that internal affairs within law enforcement. Again, I'm not saying this as an outsider. I, I taught at the college level. I was a warden in the prison system, worked there for 12, 13 years. So internal affairs, because a lot of times if you're concerned about the police and you feel like the police are the ones who are going to make the decision on a bad officer, because we know that 90 something percent of the officers are amazing. They do great work. They protect and serve. They go into the profession for the right thing. They're amazing. Let's just make sure that we're clear on that. But what happens is, is that, you know, the people that, you know, that may make mistakes over and over again, but if internal affairs kind of protects and serve the, the officers and just kind of Next thing you know, we have a situation where the good officers are being impacted by these officers that are not doing the right thing. So forget internal affairs, let an external body be the one that handles those investigations. So now they don't have to feel like they're covering up their brother or doing whatever. Now that body's doing it. And then the last one, I think the messaging needs to change. I think the one of the things that Nike did that was, you know, very, when you look at 80s, 90s, just do it. Like the reason why we all know just do it, even to this day, and it's been generations, forget the Jordan generations, the just do it phrase has been generations. It's because they said it over and over and over and over again. And so what if the you know, police departments and law enforcement did a, a just did it campaign? And what they do is they share things of an amazing, awesome, crazy, blessed to some family, to the community thing that an officer just did. And so just did, I'm just, I mean, those are just some, but when you start thinking like that, your mindset begins to shift. And so my challenge for anybody is begin to think about solution because as we move forward, the area that you're passionate about is going to be different than for everybody else. Don't assume that everybody has to work on the same thing. For me, it's going to be continue to look looking at prison reform, law enforcement. What can we do to, you know, to look at, you know, some of the people are spending so much time in prison for this and the disproportionality between, you know, time that someone gets for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. Like you can have kilos of powder cocaine and you can have a, you know, X amount of grams of crack cocaine and you'll get more for the crack cocaine than you do for the powder cocaine. And you got to have powder cocaine to make crack cocaine. So it's like, that doesn't make sense. However, you know, generally in the, you know, the communities are, you know, brown and black brothers are the ones maybe selling the drugs. Then you got the kingpin that's doing this, that might not. And so, but those are things that we can look at and change. So figure out your sphere What's the area that God's kind of got you wrestling with? And what are you going to do to have your hand on the steering wheel? Again, we're talking about flattening the curve. What is it that you're going to do? Because we all have a part to play. And so start with solutions. I love that. I love that. This conversation has been fantastic. You know, from, from, from top to bottom, it's been about taking responsibility, mm. right? Starting where you are, recognizing that I can do something. You know, Pastor Jared talked about the personal responsibility of, of a believer is to step out and step up to lead with mercy, with love, with grace, 
I love this conversation, this, this statement that you just made to be solution driven, right? Yeah. And when I'm solution driven, uh, what I love is that we're kind of answering some of the questions um, throughout the, the, answering the questions as the conversation goes, right? Because it was like, don't make an assumption, right? That, that's something that's not helpful. Don't make an assumption that everyone's bro- that everyone is broken and every person of color around you is hurting. Instead, go lead with mercy and grace and humility. Get an understanding. As you get an understanding, it helps drive your solutions. It helps drive your, your can-do. This is what I can do. Wow, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know that I could, I didn't know that I could speak up for this. I didn't know that I could help and stand and support and strengthen in this way, right? And the truth of the matter is that we all can do something, and we all should do something, you know. And I, I, I really appreciate that both of you said this: that this is not a this is not a left issue or right issue. It's not a black issue or a white issue. This is a heaven heaven versus hell, right yeah. versus wrong, sin versus righteousness yeah. issue. And you know, the, the the truth is this: Paul said it really well in Romans eight. He said that creation is groaning for the sons of God to take their place. And maybe, just maybe, this is a time for children of God, sons and daughters of God. to. Well, I think, uh, I think it is the time. The, the reality is there's a revival taking place. Amen. It's uh, not a revival any of us wow. thought of. Wow. And uh, dare I say, it's not the revival that 99.9% of Christians prayed about. In the classic sense, right, Scott? We we all pray for revival, but what we're really saying is, we want a lot more people to come to our church. That's what we're praying about. Like we we want all our seats filled, and that's there's nothing wrong with that prayer because that means people people are coming to Jesus, right? They're getting baptized in water, marriages are being restored, people are getting free from addiction, and so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that, but. When you, I looked up the de- dictionary definition of the word revival the other day, and it's, it literally says that it is an awakening to a truth within your emotion and or religion. And that's what's happening. There is an awakening taking place, not just in America, all over the world, um, to the evil, the disgust, and the sin of racism. And if we want this revival to land in the right place, the church of Jesus has to step up. And we have to rise up, we have to unite, and we have to lead with the love of God. But there is revival. It's happening. Absolutely. And where are where are we Christians going to be when the story is written? Are we going to be on the right side of it or the wrong side? You know, and I'm like, even back to what you said earlier, Scott, about, you know, people getting hung up on Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. I'm like, well, of course all lives matter. But also, black lives matter. If you say all lives matter, then black lives matter. Like, Hello, guys. Like, why are you upset about that? I I just, I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) I mean, like, but where are we going to be when when the story is told, when history has spoken and the book is written? Because, man, 
2020 is going to be in the history books. <laughs> like, my God. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's in there. It might be a whole class. Like, I mean, you I might take history <laughs> and then take 2020. 2020. <laughs> but, I mean, where is the church going to land on this? And I believe that if we step up, and again, I just keep repeating myself, but if we step up and lead with the love of God, the grace of God, and the truth of his word, we will land on the right side. And people will have been healed. They will have been delivered from things. They will have awakened to truth. Friendships would have been created. Uh, New leaders would have been found. Diversity would have been multiplied. And the church will have stood in the right side of history. And I pray we do that. It seems like so far we are. And I, I pray it just keeps going. And, and, and when everybody looks back, when our kids read about it, they see that God's church was right in the middle of this, but leading the way towards healing, towards reconciliation, towards restoration, and towards wisdom and understanding. Amen. Well said. I, I, I love that you said that, you know, you're going to be on the, side, the right side or the wrong side. And, and I think where we're at now, everybody's trying to put it on the right side or the left side. And as we're going into an election season, we're going to have even more of that. So I don't think that we're at the peak of this racial tension that we have right now. I think we want to see it in November. So I think between now and November and then beyond, it's really important that for believers, because I mean, you know, I love like your optimism and saying where the church is, because I'm, I'm talking to people all the time that that honestly, they don't feel that way. They don't feel like the church is out and the church is leading. I think that you have some ministry leaders that are, you have some ministry leaders that are scared and you have some ministry leaders that just don't want to touch it and don't want to do anything. And so I think that, you know, the ones that are leading, you give an opportunity for other people to say, oh, I can sit and have a conversation like this. Like, oh, that, that, that didn't look that difficult. We're just having a conversation. We start from a place of understanding and what we do and look, some solutions came out of this. And I think for those that are watching, you're sitting too and saying, okay, that wasn't, like that wasn't weird or awkward or uncomfortable. It, it does make me a little bit like I didn't know what to do and I still don't know. But man, start with like, we have to be the one that's pointing people to how to handle this. Like they need to be, people need to be coming to the church to see what you're doing because, you know, because people, some people are pessimistic depending on when they grew up because, you know, there looked like there was a time when the church, you know, used the Bible you know, to promote racism and segregation and sin. And so like, and then, and then there's an evolution. And right now we have the opportunity. They're young. I believe like my sons are 17 and 21. I believe their generation is the one that's really going to get this ball over the, you know, the, the end zone. They're going to get into the end zone. They're the ones that's going to see the fruit again of the seeds that we're planting or the conversations that we're having. And I'm just blessed that we're able to do it. I'm excited. I'm actually looking forward to the things that's going on. And, and again, I'm just, I just want to make sure that that we take a hard look in the mirror and just like with any other sin, like, you know, like I, I just tell Pash, like you can't be okay with talking to someone about porn or about their addictions or other things that they have. But, you know, racism is one of the greatest gospel issues that we can deal with. And so I, I'm, I'm excited. I appreciate you guys being willing to, to have the conversation. I appreciate, you know, for you to be able to share some stories about how some people in your congregation are honestly like, they didn't even know how they were going to take this conversation, to be honest. And now they're sitting there saying, because if you take it any other way other than saying, what can I do to get better? What can I do to be a part of the solution? Then that's something that you need to wrestle with, because I promise you that's not from God. And mm-hmm. so, and I, I just, I'm, I'm excited. And, and again, appreciate your, your leadership on it and, and, and having me to be a part of the conversation.
I'm, I'm so grateful for, for this conversation. I'm grateful for the courage, both to speak up and to listen, you know, both to give an understanding and receive an understanding. Um, and at the end of the day, the truth is this, that if anything happens in the earth, whether it's evil or righteous, it happens through humanity, yeah. right? It happens through the human will and through human agency. And I, I agree with the both of you that I pray that we are all on the side of God's will yeah. and God's purpose happening in the earth. If, and, you know, I pray for those of us who are watching right now that we would, that we would have that same heart, right? The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, the Lord speaks up and he says, you know, who, who will go for us? Obviously, the Lord wants justice, yeah. right? Obviously, you know, Amos says he wants rivers of it. Micah says, here's what I demand of you. For you to do rightly, do yeah. justice, Humble love yourself. mercy, and walk with humility, yeah. right? And in Isaiah, he, he says, well, who's going to go do that for us? And Isaiah gives his beautiful response. He's not perfect. A few verses earlier, he was saying, I'm a wretch undone. But his response is beautiful. His response, he says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Yeah. And the Lord doesn't always want someone who's perfect. He just wants someone who's available. And maybe today we don't have the perfect response, but we can have an available spirit to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do what's right. Yeah. I'm going to love, I'm, I'm going to be merciful Amen. and I'm going to walk with humility. And you know, before we end this conversation at our church, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that if, if anything powerful is going to begin, it, it's, it begins with, and it's sustained by prayer. And so we've got our, our pastor here with us and we've got our friend Scott with us. We're going to ask them to pray for us right where you are, right where you're watching. Will you take a posture of availability, would you just raise your hands towards heaven? You know, maybe for some of you that are watching, maybe you feel so compelled to just be humble before the Lord and to kneel and just say, Lord, I'm submitted to you. I'm going to submit myself under your mighty hand of power. That's what First Peter 5 says, and he exalts us in that act of submission to him. And so, uh, Scott, we're going to start with you and just pray over us, and then, Pastor, you close us out with prayer. Yeah, and so right where you are, would you just close your eyes? Bow your heads. Would you, would you raise your hands towards heaven? And let's just join in together this moment of faith and prayer. Take us, take us there, Scott. Father, thank you so much, first of all, for uh, the leadership um, pastors here today, Pastor Jared and Pastor Cruz, Lord, that they would be willing to have this conversation and for their body, their family, their house to be open to listening, God. And right now, we just come to you in a spirit of humility. And I just pray right now, Galatians 3.28, that, that we understand that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, that what? That we are all one in Christ Jesus, that we would embrace that we are all one, Lord. And so for those that are here right now with hearts that are heavy, that that have some questions about some things that may be stirring their heart, maybe some, some racism that they've held on to, maybe some things that they haven't let go of, maybe some grudges that they've had, Lord, but but we're, I pray that the spirit of forgiveness over them, whatever they had right now, Lord, I pray that they would just even do a posture of just laying it down at the altar right now, that the spirit of forgiveness, because to be reconciled, like we have to forgive, Lord, and so I pray right now that that you would raise up leaders, the next generation of world changers that, that would be leaders in this forefront of being able to fight the sin of racism. God, I pray that, that the church would rise up and, and take their rightful place in the conversation they have on social media 
media, the conversation that they have in their homes, Lord, that would you reveal to them what their role is in this conversation, God? Would you allow them to be able to see two, three, four, even five years down the road of the seeds that they're planting today and the harvest that they're going to sow many years from now as a result of their obedience, Lord? Again, for those that have questions, Lord, I pray that you give them answers, Lord. For those that are sitting here right now, just continue to wrestle, Lord. Allow them to have a spirit of freedom, God. God, we thank you so much and we appreciate in advance all that you're going to do, Lord. Allow us to play our little our little role, our little piece in this much bigger conversation. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just come before you, Lord, and I just ask you to help us. Father, I just am so impressed to be seeking your word and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So we invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, our families, our churches, and our cities, Father. And we just believe that we are being led by the Holy Spirit's wisdom, His peace, and His grace. Father, help us to continue to lead this charge of healing, of equality, of justice. And Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for what you are doing during this time in us and through us. I thank you that this is a season of growth, a season of humility, a season of righteousness, a season of friendship, a season of reconciliation, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, Scott, I just want to say thank you to you, man. We, we, we cherish this conversation. Thank you for your time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's been, it's, yeah. been, it's been a joy, man. It's good. Yeah, this is great. Pastor Jared, thank you as well for for leading the charge with, with this conversation. It takes courage to have these yeah. conversations. It really does. It really, really does. And Scott, we love you, man. We're grateful. Likewise. We're friends, um, new friends. And so, listen, we hope that this conversation really challenges you, challenges you to do exactly what Pastor Jared has been saying, to step out and to step up. Every single one of us has the innate gift of leadership. In you, you carry influence, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And there is something that you can do today. And so would you pray and ask the Lord to teach you how to do that, to teach you how to love him and to see him in in new lenses and to let your love for him be seen in your love for people. Remember at our church, we believe that every every single part of our church family is called to be a blessing. And the blessing we believe includes helping someone's life get further than when we found them. And so that's something we can do today is help someone's life move forward. So remember, we love you. We're here to teach people how to enjoy the abundant life. So let's go be that change that we're praying for. Thank you so much for watching this. Can't wait to see you in church soon. We love you guys. Thanks for watching.